Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. And turn first, if you will, to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7. We'll look at that passage. But I want to challenge you a little more this morning, okay? So you've got to hold your finger there. Or maybe some of you who are a lot more technologically advanced, you can mark it on your iPad or iPhone. But for those of you who are not quite as technologically advanced, just hold your finger right there and turn, if you will, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and find verses 45 through 49. I believe today God has given us a great message. It's a message that's been burning in my heart the last few weeks, as a matter of fact, because I am convinced that so many of us go through life just existing, just making it from day to day. There are so many people in our culture that, I mean, it is almost a drudgery for them to go to work, to function, to do whatever it is that they do. It's very difficult for them. And yet, I believe, as God speaks to us through His Word, we are not just to exist, but rather we are to thrive. We are to know the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to extend that life to other individuals. And I think Paul so contrasts this for us as we look at these passages today. With Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, let, let's begin there again. As Moses records the creation account, he says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now look at Paul's commentary on this verse, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, in the writer here in Genesis, as he speaks to us, as he talks to us about the formation of man, he talks about God's intentional act of making humanity god decided i am going to make man and notice the way he does it he takes what he has and he fashions it together earlier in genesis 1 we saw where god takes nothing and he brings forth creation he speaks and all of a sudden creation is formed here a different word a different language that's used he speaks about taking the dust, taking the earth, and forming man. But then God does something very powerful. He does something so significant and so wonderful. He takes, that, he takes that piece of clay that he has made, and he breathes life into him. And thus today, we are living beings because God has worked in such an astonishing way. It is a wonderful passage to look at. Next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk more about the value of human life because he has 
breathe himself into us, his breath into us. We're going to talk about the value of human life and how that plays out in our culture today. So I hope that you'll be here next week. But for just this mo- moment this morning, I want to focus not just on Genesis 2-7, but like I said, on Paul's commentary of Genesis 2-7. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because what Paul says is that you have contrasting persons, contrasting people. You have the first Adam that was a living spirit. You have the second Adam, Jesus Christ, which is the life-giving spirit. Differences. I think in so many ways, those differences play out in our lives. And I would encourage you today, I pray that when we leave this place... We're not just existing souls. We're not just living souls, but we are life-giving spirits as we emulate the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I pray would happen today. Now, that means that we have to have a different perspective. We have to have a different perspective than the culture that's around us. Notice what Paul says again to the Corinthians. He said that the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The idea is that this first man, this Adam, he was created, God made him, but there was something about him that was still caught up in the earth. It was still caught up in in the th- way things are here. You might call him an earthy man. Some of you, you might call him a dusty man. He was an earthy, dusty guy. And that spoke not just Not just of his origin, but I believe it spoke about his perspective. Especially as you see it play out in the garden. Especially as you see the life of Adam and the descendants of Adam. What happened was, humanity's perspective somehow began to focus upon the things of the earth rather than the things of God. I mean, look at the contrast here. It says that first man, he was earthy or dusty. The second man, though, is the Lord from heaven. Notice verse 48. And was the man of dust, so are also those who are made of dust. In other words, like us. Many of us, our focus, our perspective is on the things that happen in this earth. We are dusty kind of people. But God... God is one who demonstrates the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. So in other words, his perspective is so much higher than what our natural perspective is. Now, for those of us, again, we come from the line of Adam. We are tempted every day to look at things in an earthy way, to think about the things that are around us, the temporal things. We look around them with that perspective that it's only about what's happening here. It's only about the the events that we see, the circumstances. Now, I believe God is concerned about all the things that happen in our lives. Would you agree with that? I didn't hear you up in the gathering. I hope you're louder than these folks. God is concerned about who we are. I've said we have a creator that is personally involved in our lives. We give him thanks. But as believers who follow Christ Jesus, we recognize that life is not just about the earthly circumstances and events that we see. But rather there is a higher view that God calls us to. 
It's not just about the temporal. It's not just about the here and now. It is about what God has done through Jesus Christ, what he's going to continue to do, and the eternal work that we can be a part of. That's the difference in the first Adam and the second Adam. The first, literally what it means is a living soul. God breathed in him, and yes, there was human life, but he didn't quite catch the purpose, the life-giving purpose that God intended. Only through Christ Jesus do we see the higher view. Well, I will say an earthy view of things, well, it can lead you, well, it can lead you to depression itself, can it? This morning when I got ready to leave the house, I, well, really, even when I got up, I turned the radio or the television on, and uh, I always have it on the news. It drives the kids nuts. One of the reasons I do it. Just <laughs> news again, Dad. Here we go again. And I believe I heard the anchor say, we're going to turn to, and I think something like Martha, and Martha's going to give us a view of the world today. She began to run down the stories of the day. Well, by the time I finished hearing about the stories of the day, I decided I might need to spend some time in prayer and preparation. I didn't know if I could even get up and preach this morning, looking at all the things that are going on around us. I mean, certainly the world events. If we were to narrow our focus just a few moments on the presidential election, how depressing is that? I would not allow any committee to meet Monday night that I had to be a part of because I wanted to see a debate. Oh, I was so wrong. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should, when I look around at all the things that are going on in the earth, I feel like I need to be transported back to a hee-haw skit. <laughs> now, some of you are too young to remember that show. Some of you are too cultured to admit that you watched that show. Friends, when you call a preacher from Mississippi, you better know he's going to use hee-haw as an illustration one day in his sermons. But picture that skit for a moment. Picture the skit. Rednecks lying around in, a ta in their tattered clothes. And from their voices arise the song of lament. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's sad. Gathering, I hope you didn't know that song like these folks down here did. I expected more. But you know, when you're looking at the earthy things around us, when you find yourself just, just focusing on the temporal, you're earthy, you're dusty, you're thinking about the events, the circumstances, you know what will happen to you? You'll find yourself, you'll find yourself in a deep, dark depression. You'll look around and you'll say, what could ever come good? How in the world could this culture, how could it advance? How could we see the gospel make a difference? 
How could we, and, and you know what we do? We'll throw our hands up because what we do is focus on the earthy things, on the things that are around us. We're kind of like that first Adam, and our focus is more here than it is there. But my friends, let me tell you this. Our citizenship is not just found in a nation here. Our citizenship is one that is higher. Paul says that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we need to recognize that our focus, our perspective, shouldn't be like the first Adam, looking at all the things here on this earth. It should be thinking in a heavenly perspective. Jesus Christ came with a heavenly perspective. That's what he says. That he found his source. He found his origin in heaven itself. And he stuck to its priorities and its purposes. We need to be people who are heavenly minded. Now, when I was growing up, I used to hear a preacher say something like this. You shouldn't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You ever heard that? And I'll be honest, I've agreed with that in principle. But I'm not sure I have ever met somebody that's so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I take just a few more heavenly minded people. People who are focused not on this earth, but focused on what God has done and how he wants to use us in this earth. It's so much different. It's a different perspective. If we're only looking at how we can impact the things around us in an earthly way, we will always come away frustrated. If we're going to do it in our own strength, if we're going to only do it according to our own wisdom, we will always be frustrated. We'll feel like we're just existing from day to day. But when we think about the kingdom, when we think about the heavenly perspective, we're not just a living soul, but we can be a life-giving spirit. Because, see, different perspectives bring about different purposes. A different purpose for your life. Different purpose for my life. Why am I here? What what does God call me to? What is there a God? Does God even want to use me? When you have a heavenly perspective, you have answers to those questions. And you recognize that your purpose is large. God has called you. God has worked to give you the opportunity to bring life. Now again, this is where the purpose comes down to us, I think. As we think of a living soul going about his business and a life-giving spirit. I believe the spirit, as he prompted Paul to write this, he was very intentional to show the difference, to show the difference that we can go and give life to people. You think of the first Adam a moment. The first Adam missed out on that life-giving purpose. If you want to look at Adam, that living soul, you were to read the next few chapters, you'll see that Adam actually peddles death more than he does life. Well, that seems to be strong. Read the rest of these early chapters in Genesis. What does, what does Adam do? 
he actually takes life from people. Well, I don't remember that. What do you mean? When Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, it brought death itself into this world. Think again what it did to Eve. Well, now Eve, she was a willing participant. I hear all you guys. Understand that? In the New Testament, though, Adam is the one that is specifically cited for falling short of the glory for his sin. So what did Adam do? Well, through his sin, he brought death. He brought the curse. Creation itself does not experience the life it should because of Adam and his sin. He took life from his wife, life from his descendants, in so many ways, life from us. Listen to what Paul says. He wrote to the Romans. This is how he characterized Adam's existence. Adam's fall. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Rather lengthy passage, but hang with me if you will. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will become or be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered the offense that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lengthy passage. But did you hear that constant repetition? It's by one man that sin entered into the world. It's by one man that death came. It's by one man that judgment was seen upon the world. So here's the first Adam. He is a living soul, but he doesn't embrace the purpose of life. Rather, what he does is he brings about death that somehow spreads to all of us. There are too many people living like that first Adam today. And I hate to say it, but I'm afraid there are too many of us sitting in this congregation today that can live like that first Adam. We can steal life from people. We can take life. As we fall short of the glory, as we fall short of God's intentions for us, we can steal people's joy in life. 
May I say this to you? Husbands, stop stealing the life from your wife. Be there to enhance life, not take it from her. Fathers, mothers, stop taking the life from your children. Stop drawing it out of them, but rather encourage them in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. At work, when you walk in, don't draw the life out of the room. You bring the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to school, you don't go in in such a negative way that you take life from people or the atmosphere. You bring, again, the shining example of Christ Jesus and who you are. Because you know what our purpose is? It is not to draw life from people. It is to give life to people. Adam, the first Adam, he drew life. He took it away. He brought death. But oh, as Paul contrasts those first and second Adams, he reminds us that all of us who, have, who had partaken of spiritual death in some sense, some way because of sin, we are alive now because of what Christ Jesus did for us. He saw that as his purpose to come and to give us life. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. How awesome is that, my friends? That today we can know the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can convey the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. Why? Well, because we have a different perspective we have a different purpose. We're not just living for the, the here and now. We know there is something that has been prepared. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those verses I read you a moment ago, they are set in the context of the resurrection itself. If you were to read the whole chapter, Paul was answering questions from the Corinthian church about the resurrection. He was giving us a much more detailed account of the resurrection itself and confidence in our belief in the resurrection. He, he basically is saying there is hope, there is something that is better than that all of us who are believers, that even though our bodies, our physical bodies might die, we would know the resurrection. That's what he was talking about in that 15th chapter. Man, that, that brings a different perspective about things, right? When you know there is something that is greater, there is, my friends, there is a place much better than this one. And it has been reserved for those of us who have had faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And that our God, He is so about winning and victory that He would not even allow our physical bodies to decay. But what He'll do is He will take it. And once again, we will live our physical bodies themselves. That gives me so much more hope. That gives me a sense of life, sense of life that I can convey to others. I say, our purposes should be changed, should be different if our perspective is different. When we go into work, again, as I said last week, work is not just about making money. But God has placed me there with a purpose to be obedient and demonstrate my worship of Him. When I'm in the classroom, it's not just there to make good grades. Oh, we hope you do. We hope you do. But it should be 
you should be there to give the life of Christ to that classroom and your family. It's not just to raise your children. It should be to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. It should be about the life of Christ. Oh, how that changes and rearranges our priorities as well, doesn't it? When we're not caught up on the earthy, but we're caught up on the heavenly, it changes our priorities. Changes the priority for my family. Changes the priority for my work. Changes the priority for my school. Changes the priorities for the circumstances of my life, even when I go through some of the most difficult some of the biggest health challenges. It changes my priorities. If we're focused on the eternal purpose, not just the temporal, if we decide in our hearts and lives that we can touch eternity every day, and I believe we can, by pursuing and by declaring the life of Christ, then that means that the priority of my life is changed. The priorities that I have. Let me go back just a moment to the family context. Almost all of us, I think in this room, virtually everybody, we have priorities for our children and our grandchildren. We'd like for them to learn math. We'd like for them to read. Right? Where are the amens? You want them to move out one day, don't you? Where are the amens? <laughs> we want our children to learn how to read, write, do math. We want them to do those things. And that's good. We should. We'll spend time with them. We'll make sure that they get this. We'll talk about it with them. We'll follow up with teachers if we need to because it is so important to us. We love for them to be involved in extracurricular activities. I do too. Whether they're running, they're on a ball field, whatever else, I think it's great. Learn team spirit. Um, hopefully one day, do well enough, get a scholarship so they don't cost you anything when they do go to college. That out-of-state stuff, I mean. But there's a... But let me say this. If our perspective and our purpose is not just earthy, but if it is heavenly, shouldn't that rearrange our priorities about what we teach our children and our grandchildren about the Lord? It may be the only place that we will cede our responsibility of our children and grandchildren. All the other ones, we come, oh, yeah, we want to be involved in their school. We want to be involved. But so many of us, we bring them to church and say, now, you take care of them and you work and you do whatever you say to them. And hopefully, they'll be raised in the right way. That's not the way it works. You should be life-giving spirits in your home. You should convey your life or the life of Christ. And you should allow that to change the priority and the time as you focus on that heavenly purpose above. Again, priorities. 
of work and school and there's a different priority. And it all boils down to this. All these differences, different perspective and purpose and priority, it really all boils down to this. There's a different person. Again, I'm going to come back to you and talk to you about human life. And Genesis 2-7 is a, it's a wonderful passage to recognize the value of every individual. But through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see forgiveness. We see salvation. And as I've been preaching this whole time, we see life itself. How can we be different? Because we have met the one who is different from everybody else. He is the one that is greater. He is the one that stands out. He is the one that stepped up and volunteered for the mission that would bring us salvation and life itself. He is the one that said, I love them so much that I am willing to die on the cross. He is the one that willingly submitted himself to the Father's will. So that you and I could have life. And today, thanks be to him that we have passed from death unto life. We do not look back. We do not go back. But we extend the life-giving message to others. <coughs> that is a life worth living. It is the life that can only be given. By Jesus Christ. You want your existence to have a different dimension about it? You want life to be seen as something that can be exciting and energizing and purposeful? Do you want to know the forgiveness of your sins? Do you want to know what it's like to have your sins cast as far as the east is from the west? then I invite you to meet this life-giving spirit, Jesus Christ. When you give your life to him and trust him and believe him and commit yourself to him, he will make a difference. And you will find a different perspective and purpose and priority through his work, through his grace. Would you hear his message to us today? Today, would you give your life, those who are lost, would you come and give your life to him? Those today of, who are safe, there's several of us here. Will we bear the image of the heavenly, as Paul says? Will we bear his image of life to others as we go from this place? Let's pray. Father. We praise you. We are so grateful to you today for imparting life to us, life we did not deserve. Father, for sending your one and only Son 
to die upon the cross, to take a death that we deserved, to pay the price that we should have paid. And Lord, we thank you as well for that resurrection power that you demonstrated in your son's life so that you conveyed to us your power to forgive sin, to overcome death. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here, those of us who are saved. Father, this day, may we commit ourselves, whether it be in our workplace, our families, or in the school, wherever it is, Lord, that today we would commit ourselves to being the life-giving spirits that you've called us to be, that we would bear the image of your Son. God, for that one that is here that is just existing, they're just tossed to and fro, and Lord, they've never, ever given their lives to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction here this morning and that they would come, they would respond to your message of goodness and grace and life. Father, help us now. Speak to us as we are obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.